0: Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Love Yourself Fiercely. Today's guest is the beautiful Angela McKay. As an HR executive, wife and mom, Angela learned the need to prioritize herself amidst the busyness of crazy life. We all get that. Committed to taking the cliche out of self-care, she turned her need into a passion for coaching. She works with overwhelmed, driven, do-it-all women to help them take more meaningful time for themselves. Angela, thank you so much for being here.
1: I am so excited to be here. I love
0: talking with you. I know we get along so well. It's going to be such a good episode. <laughs> um, and this is a topic near and dear to both of our hearts as partners, as moms, as busy women, as you know, I have multi, multiple businesses, you are corporate and business owner, self care and the, and prioritizing it is so, so, so important. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this conversation and I know it'll really resonate with the listeners. But before we jump in, please tell us who you are and take us on the journey with you from really reclaiming that part of your life and how you found your way to where you are now.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a small ask, isn't it? <laughs> you know, as I, as I look back on that, you know, on that, that work to really embrace yourself, to really love yourself. I didn't have any huge aha moments. Um, I had an unraveling or an awakening or whatever you want to call it. I had a moment in my life where the universe just started showing me that um, I was completely out of whack, that what I was chasing, what I was following, what I was doing wasn't in alignment with myself. And those were some really, it was just a collection of really uncomfortable moments. So in my adulthood, I have embraced... Um, that I'm a light worker, I'm an empath, I have some intuitive ability. I took that back to to childhood. I was a highly sensitive child. So these things existed within me then. I was a highly sensitive child. So there's a lot of emotions that happened in that space. And in honoring my human design, I know I have to honor those those emotions that I have. Um, However, when you're small and you're in a family dynamic that doesn't know how to validate emotions, they're just inconvenient. They're inconvenient for those around you. So you learn right there and then that your existence is semi-reliant on making other people happy, mm-hmm. on making other people feel good. I didn't know any of that until this unraveling, until this awakening kind of started to happen. And I'd say that if, if I had to choose any ahas, it was in motherhood, it was in being a parent. It was in a collection of moments that just more and more, I didn't feel good about. I didn't like how I was showing up. And I had to look at myself as as a mother and then as a person and say, why am I showing up this way? And how can I change that? Because this isn't the mom that I want to be. This isn't the person I want to be. And then acknowledging that I was able to make progress on validating the feelings of my children Mm. And then learning to validate the feelings of your children, you learn that you have your own needs that stemmed from childhood themselves. And you learn to validate what you're feeling. and it becomes this really beautiful and painful space to start to start diving into. But if I had to choose a moment, it was that that, that showed me how I need to start finding myself so I could love myself and so that I could prioritize myself.
0: Mm. Makes sense. Makes beautiful sense. And more and more and more, all of my guests are really highlighting the invalidation as children and, you know, the inner child work that really is so profound when you nailed it, our feelings as little kids were inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And so we learned to make them go away or suppress them so that we were, we were not inconvenient we were not a burden. Our sadness wasn't a burden. Our over excitement wasn't a burden. Our, our anger wasn't a burden and and we suppress and then fast forward. And we have these little tiny humans that we adore so strongly with these really big feelings. And we have these moments where we catch ourselves repeating the pattern. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, wait, no, nope. I remember what that felt like. It's like this mirror in front of you of these tiny humans Mm -hmm. that make you second guess everything in the most profound way. And so that, I mean, I relate so strongly to that too. My daughter is the beacon of all of my change and and the strong desire to change the trajectory of her life. And with that and her human design, there are a lot of big emotions. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it you know I'm not an emotional authority I'm a sacral authority so I'm a, like I know what to do let's do the thing let's we can do the thing that will get us where we need to go and so I had to also relearn how to parent from human design from her human design so that there's space for her emotional waves Giving her the capacity to ride that without shame, without suppression, without all of those pieces, so that she has the space that she needs to come to her own decision. And I'm teaching her, as a byproduct of that consciousness, that her feelings are important. They're her guide in this life. Yeah. She's designed,
1: she's designed to feel them.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so from that unraveling for you and really learning to honor your emotions, I assume there was a, a pretty significant healing component to that too.
1: Oh yeah. And, and I, uh, you just hear like this exhaustion that comes every, when you, you think back over this, this journey that you go on. So, you know, connecting to that, that was the, the, the root of where people pleasing started mm-hmm. people pleasing you learn to help con- control the emotions of others, right? This is this is near impossible to do. You change who and how you are to make someone else happy. To get attention, you start achieving the things that are in front of you because you feel like if you, if you achieve them, you're going to get that pat on the back. You're going to get some sort of positive attention. Mm-hmm. So you go on this trajectory of just achieving what is in front of you, regardless of how you feel about achieving it. And I found that, that when it came to that unraveling, that that's what I was in the midst of.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure,
1: you could list achievements that I had done, but what had I done them for? I hadn't done them for what was within me. And what's interesting is the demographic that I work with, I fall into driven achieving women. I would have never called myself a people pleaser. I would have never called myself a people pleaser. I was too strong for that. Mm-hmm. I was too outspoken for that. I was too opinionated for that. Oh man, I had no idea. I had no idea. So in part of that healing, it was, it was, it was looking at something like people pleaser and saying, wow, that exists. And it's driving how many of the things that I do. Yeah. Rather than getting to a place where I'm finding quiet moments for me to process all of this awareness for me to practice exquisite and radical Mm self-care so that from there I can open myself to my inner knowing and make choices that I feel confident in making in alignment with myself. It's a process that you have to throw yourself into and then you realize just how many components there are to step back and evaluate before you can keep moving forward. So it's a constant back and forth and it will always be I mean, that's what I've gotten to the place of this back and forth will always exist because if we're doing the work, we're always evolving, we're mm-hmm. always evaluating these pieces of us and, and who we're turning into and where we're going and what, what it is that we need. So, all kinds of healing, <laughs> all kinds of healing, <laughs> all kinds of coming to terms with that's not me. You yeah. don't know me. <laughs> like, I don't know me. I don't know me.
0: And there it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, When we have that moment of clarity of like, wait a second, wait a second, wait, hold on. I have never connected those two things about myself. And here I am, it's smacking me in the face. And now I have to question everything I know about myself. And then we have that really gut-wrenching moment of, holy shit, I don't even know who I am. If I don't know who I am, then then where do I fit in this world? Right. It's that like, what do I do? What do I, what do I do? Question kind of feeling of emptiness, because now you have to look back and say, everything I did up until this moment was not about me. And so I would love to hear, you know, the steps that happened from there. Cause for me, I was like, well, shit, if I'm at the bottom, I better decide how to get up from here. And I really made that my reclamation of learning to decide who I was going to be in this world. But I know for everybody, it's a little bit different. So I would love to hear, you know, how you learned to really get to know who you were once that, that awareness was really prevalent.
1: Absolutely. So on one hand, there was curiosity. On the other hand, there's the self-care that I really use as the gateway for the coaching that I do. Um, I'll I'll go over the self-care side first. And, you know, you had mentioned it. I really am on a mission to take the cliche out of self-care. It's, um, become all about bubble baths and facials and manicures and, you know, grabbing a coffee while you run your errands. And I don't want to discount those things, but that's not what it's all about. That's a facet that can be a facet, but it's not what it's all about. Um, I work with women in seven areas of self-care And, you know, just list them quickly. It's physical, psychological, emotional, social, occupational, environmental, and spiritual. Seven can sound like a whole lot. Like when you're a driven achieving woman, like you're working with minimal time, or at least you feel you're working with minimal time. So I list off seven areas of self-care. But what I did for myself and what I do with them is you evaluate kind of, how you are in those spaces and there's going to be one that shows up that you could just be doing a little bit better for yourself and then the beauty is that by working on that one it impacts how many but a lot of what that that self-care space is about is one taking the time for yourself it can happen um so often we want to say i don't have the time or we have a lot of guilt around taking that time so even if we find it and feel guilty when we take it, because how many other things could be being done at that time? Um, but it's really about finding spaces where I like to say, because um, there's meditation where completely quiet, you're completely still, uh, or you can be walking. Um, so I, I like to say with a lot of these driven, achieving women, it can be something that keeps your hands busy, but your mind open. Mm. You're not intaking, you're not worrying. You're doing something that's keeping yourself busy, but it's really giving you the opportunity to finally step back and do some processing. Let things start connecting. Let you hear your voice. We run from our voice. We keep busy so that we can run from, from our voice. So it's really establishing very small changes, very simple routines so that you start putting yourself first. And there's that selfish connotation around that, but really when we're taking care of ourselves and we're feeling better, we are showing up better. When I started to identify that I am a whole person that needs whole person care, mm-hmm. I started showing up better for my people and my priorities.
0: Hmm. I, I couldn't say it better. And I often say this in my own house with the people that I love the most. It is our individual responsibility to take and and make space for the care that we need. And I, you know, I'm really proud and I'm sure you are too, that we are instilling those values in our children while they're young. So they don't have to uncover and unlayer and heal from and learn to. It becomes their way of being. Mm -hmm. And I always tell my children that when we take care of ourselves individually and we take quiet space if we need to, we make space to read a book. If it feels good, we make space for meditation. We make space for going outside in nature. We make, we take space for journaling all of the pieces that we enjoy about our wellness. Then when we come together as a unit, we're really just pouring love into each other because we're over full or we're over full we're over filling right Right. we're spewing over versus this like I have to do for you I'm 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 empty but I have to give because if I give then I'm enough and if I'm enough then you love me Mm -hmm. and moms are actually the worst for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then we are and then you know, part of it is like true exhaustion, depending on what season of parenting you're in. But a lot of it is we're just passing those narratives on to our children. So if we can consciously take a step back and create a new belief around when we model true self care and true self love, we instill new values, we instill new beliefs. And like you said, then you're better for your people just as a byproduct.
1: Yeah. Well, and what you started to touch on within there too is um, kind of unlearning that people pleasing for ourselves and showing our kids that, that that people pleasing isn't the way. So as a mother, when we overextend ourselves and just say yes to everything, they're already seeing what people pleasing looks like. You ignore how you feel, you ignore what you need to make everybody else happy. So one of the other self-care spaces, and and that falls into a couple of them, is working with us driven, achieving women who didn't know we were people-pleasers and setting boundaries. Mm. And learning to say no, and learning to honor what you feel, and learning that everyone, including yourself, is whole, capable, resourceful, and creative. We do not need to interfere with their path. We all have lessons to learn. And it might mean that somebody on their own path gets hurt. Mm. It wasn't our place to prevent that hurt. It was their path. It was their journey to experience it. So we all have this obligation to be taking care of ourselves within our paths and then extending love and compassion towards everyone around us as we walk that path. Mm. Because we do rely on each other, but it's showing them that they are whole, capable, resourceful, and creative. They don't need anyone to interfere with where they're going they don't need anyone coming over in total exhaustion to try to show them how they can be better. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> it's, <true. laughs> it's so true. And, you know, for those listening, this is hard not to interfere. It's so hard not to try to save your children, save your partner, save. Your coworker, right? It's like it's so it's so naturally ingrained in us that, well, there's that narrative where we call it helping when really it's people pleasing, right? Right? We're there to help. We're here to help when in reality we're just exchanging our people pleasing behaviors in exchange for you need me, right? I which crosses
1: over into that codependency space. Mm-hmm. I need to be needed. I need to be needed. So people pleasing in that codependency end up going hand in hand.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'll be there for you. Um, but then when I know this falls, I'm here for you. It's like, go, but come back. Like, is this, it's this constant push and pull yeah. within that. Um, so kind of the other space I talked about is just that curiosity. So the other tool, um, what I love. So in working with the driven, achieving women who are discovering that when well, they're likely discovering it through a place of frustration or who am I or how did I end up here? Or just these, these feelings that start to show up. Um, when we're unearthing that and we can finally get them into a space where they embrace that uh, self-care, which I define as engaging in activities for optimal whole health, mind, body, and soul. When they're in a space where they're there, that's when we can finally do the work to shift over into evaluating the lenses in which they see the world. And when we're evaluating the lenses in which they see the world, that is when we can start to follow a more intuitively led path. So you're leading a more intuitively led life. So often as whole people, mind, body, and soul, we let mind take the wheel and drive and drive hard, right? But they're not actually going anywhere. Um, We're just, we're spiraling, we're overthinking, we're frustrated, we're in these really nasty feelings um, when we're letting mind do all of the work. So once we finally get ourselves into a more centered space with that self-care routine, which does not have to be hard and it does not have to cost anything, that's when we can evaluate how we're really showing up. We're becoming more aware, we're evaluating how we're really showing up and we can start to hear that more, um, call it spirit, call it higher self, call it inner knowing, call it whatever you want. But that's when they can finally start walking away from I'm doing this with a motivation, of somebody else to I'm doing this with a motivation that is purely mine.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I love that. And I I I'm assuming you're a busy woman because we all do this, right? The mind takes over, and then learning okay. to really tap into our intuition. That is where we really access joy. That's where we really start to live life based on what we desire because it's not motivated by experiences, people, and places outside of us.
1: Correct. It's internally motivated.
0: Yeah. And then the byproduct of that is presence, gratitude, excitement, joy. And all of a sudden, we tap into this power source within us. That really is about creating happiness happiness based on our own terms. And that is life altering. I know. And then you
1: kind of go back to that idea where people say, well, you know, if you're doing all this focus on yourself, how selfish is that? You have to keep bringing it back forward of, of these. Those were ideas that were instilled in you, just like the ideas that were instilled of you of you need to be quiet or you need to not have that emotion, or you need to achieve whatever it was that was instilled in you. Instead, it's going off on this other path where you are, you are totally embracing a process that revolves around you, figuring Mm -hmm. out who it is, who you are, what your light looks like, so that you can shine it. Because what people don't understand is that when you step into that, and you shine your own light, You draw in the people that are meant for you. You draw in the projects that are meant for you, the priorities that are meant for you, the conversations that are meant for you. It pulls everybody in and it's so not about you anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about the place where you were supposed to be. It's about the place where you can make the impact, where you can fit.
0: And can we just reclaim the power of the word selfish? Because if we're being straight up honest here, that comes from societal patriarchy structures where we are told to live in this damn box so that the world stays in line. And we, here we are, we're all kind of breaking out of our boxes. When you come into this world alone and you leave this world alone, and if all of us really hyper-focused on self, mind, body, soul, self, The word selfish wouldn't even exist. It would be common practice that we worried about self. We took care of self and everybody comes to every relationship, every opportunity, every conversation, fully authentically who they were meant to be. Taking care of yourself, honoring what's right for you, being able to understand your own needs, being able to understand and, and honor your own emotions. None of it is selfish.
1: None of it. And can you imagine a world in which everyone dives headfirst into self-work?
0: I want to be in that world, right? But see, here, I want to be in that world. here's a beautiful place you are in that world. We are, we have been given the purpose Passion-filled mission to really, really change the trajectory, and it's an honor and it's a gift. And we really are, you know, you said shine the light and magnetize, but we are also shining a light to show the path to to pave the way.
1: We find mentors and we we get to be mentors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. To be oh my gosh! So I don't think I ever closed out my previous thought. Um, sorry. No, it's not sorry. Like I I went. the place that needed to be gone to. And and I'm just going to come back to it. So you had asked about kind of the tools and I I went down self-care and then back to curiosity. So that's when I started talking about putting the self-care together with, um, uh, figuring out what lenses you see the world through and being able to hear your inner knowing a little bit better. That's when curiosity gets to open up a little bit more. Once you no longer have your mind so full force at the wheel, you can start to trust those whispers just a little bit more. That inner knowing, it whispers to you. And sometimes it freaking screams. Yep. <laughs> and those are moments in your life you never forget. But it tries to whisper first. <laughs> um, and it's, it's entertaining those whispers and just being curious about them. So, you know, as I was going along my journey, I am an HR executive. This is a pretty conservative industry um, or career that I'm in. However, as all of these things started to unravel for me, I just remember sitting on the couch one night going, I used to love rocks, like finding rocks and different colors and seeing what they did. And I was like, where did that come from? Like, it was just moments like, where did that come from? And from there, I started looking more into healing crystals mm. and the power of those. Um, and I now have more than I would ever care <laughs> to divulge. And that's not true. I just don't even know the number, or I would happily divulge it. So it was just that little, that, that little, that little voice. Um, I'm a tarot reader. I'm a tarot professional. I, I incorporate that into my coaching and I do standalone readings and I read for myself. And I remember that being one night too. I just randomly thought, hmm, tarot cards. And I searched it and I automatically found a deck that was gorgeous. that just spoke to me and I ordered it and I got it and it clicked. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, from there forward, it was just a natural part of what I did. Almost like I had known it before. But it's just, it's these, it's these little whispers that you get, that you then have the opportunity and you then have an open enough mind to say, what's there for me? Mm. Mm. What is mm. that? So those were my tools, embracing exquisite and radical self-care and embracing curiosity. I love Because that. curiosity was leading to me, leading me to who I really was.
0: Mm. It was my whispers. I call them whispers of the heart. Mm-hmm. Just those nudges, right? There's these little nudges of, you know, do I go left or do I go right? Right.
1: And if you're, if you're immersed in your stories of needing to be something for
0: somebody else,
1: it's really hard to hear those whispers.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and the most extraordinary thing that's happened on my journey of Learning to embrace my intuition, learning to hear the whispers, learning to follow the whispers, learning to trust myself, learning to honor myself, is oh. that all of my relationships have cracked wide open into depth I never knew possible. And I think that really at the end of the day, when we're talking about breaking the people-pleasing patterns, when we're talking about breaking the need to be needed, the codependency The external validation, when we really start to embrace it, the journey of self, the journey of reclamation, essentially, like you said, it's like you already knew it. You did. We did, right? It's like reclamation of self and coming back into who we were always destined to be and taking the acts, the acts of self-care and the acts of self-love to really honor who we are, all parts of self. We get to bring that openness. We get to bring that authenticity to all of the areas of our life and all of the people that we love. And if that is the only byproduct, your world is radically changed.
1: Right. Well, I think this is a good moment too to acknowledge you know, anyone who's listening. A lot of times there is a fear right there. So if I bring myself forward, this self that I just learned to acknowledge and embrace and, then, and I'm learning to love, if I bring that person forward into this relationship, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Am I going to be rejected? And mm-hmm. that's scary. Mm-hmm. But it's scarier to not do it. It's so much scarier to not do it. And it's so easy to say it's harder in practice that if whomever it is that loved you doesn't accept you after you you start to step into your light more, they weren't aligned with you to begin with. Mm -hmm. They were aligned with the you that you presented yourself as that you're now no longer identifying with as you did before. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say that I didn't, you know, as I started talking about healing crystals and tarot and universal beliefs and love and compassion and light worker and all these things that I had not been saying before, of course, that felt vulnerable to bring forward. Like you feel kooky as you say it, but you're like, no, I'm really, I'm kooky, right? Like Woo and rationality can exist in one world. And I'm going to charge forward with this. But when when you've been with someone for how long and you're bringing that forward, you're prepared for them to say, excuse me, I don't know what this is. I don't know who this is. Yeah. And then you find out like, well, all right. Well, that's weird. Um, have fun. You know? yeah. <laughs> it, it, and it doesn't have to be so scary, but it's really scary to cross that line. It, it's, it's very vulnerable to one, discover yourself for yourself. And then even more vulnerable to integrate that self into your real world mm. and that's that's the hero's journey right there from the whisper to the pain to the reintegration that's the hero's journey and that reintegration um can be just as difficult as as the pain at the bottom because it's weird yeah it's weird you are stepping forward as someone you know you are even though it feels different
0: mm-hmm. it, because i think it is different it's true and most of us don't know who we are. We don't know our truth until we do this work, until we walk this path. And then, like you said, there's fear that people who have walked life with you are not going to be accepting of this beautifully cracked, open, enhanced, authentic version of you. And you said it best. It's, it's hard, but it's harder not to let that part of you shine. And one of the greatest analogies, the most comforting analogies I, I like to use around this premise of those who are not meant for you will, will just simply fall away. That can be incredibly terrifying when you believe it's your partner, when you believe it's your best friend, when you believe it's somebody who's walked all seasons of life with you. But just as I said earlier, I always talk about how we're igniting the path, right? We're forging a path. We're we're leaving footprints for those who are not yet ready to join us. And the greatest analogy I had is when we think about babies learning to walk, every parenting book says they should walk in and around 12 months. My daughter ran at 10 months. But my son, my son was not in a hurry. That chubby little bugger had no desire. (laughs) He was so happy to just be carried around. Could you, he didn't walk till he was 16 and a half months. He couldn't have cared less. But could you imagine if I was like, kid, what are you doing? The book said you should have done it by now. I know you can do it is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Why are you not going as fast as? Could you imagine if we spoke to our babies like that, if we had expectation of, of our babies that way? And so when we're, we're a
1: baby... look in front of
0: their little baby face, yes. you see here, you are doing this wrong. You are not evolving into the butterfly as quickly as I would like. We would never do that. There's such love and compassion and grace for a baby's evolution, for a baby's journey of growth. And yet somewhere, somehow we forget that everybody is taking the baby steps on their evolution and growth. So if we are forging our light, right, we're forging towards our light, we're on our path and the people we love so dearly are not quite ready to hop on for the ride. There's beautiful release in believing you're leaving footprints that they will one day decide it's their turn and you have led the path for them. Mm -hmm. You've extended the hand for them. And I know from being on this journey for over a decade that those who weren't ready when they are, you are the person they come to you. You've shown them what's possible. You've allowed them their own journey with love and respect, and you simultaneously honored your journey with love and respect. And so as terrifying as it is in the possibility of not having those we love come along for the ride or be as accepting of the ride, if we believe with certainty that everybody's journey is in divine timing, then all we can do is show them the way.
1: It creates a safe space. And as you were talking, it made me think too. You know, as as I've traveled through this journey, there's a certain level of, of speak that I start to speak, and then I have to acknowledge that not everyone is in this in the space of speaking that speak yet. So, in, like in the example that you're you're using, um, back to that book that says your baby should walk by this time, I think of the number of parents who, because they have not really gone through any of this self-work, they really are still tied up in that that, that space of expectation
0: mm-hmm. and
1: social construct, and it should be this way, and I need to do this thing. So they look at that book and they look at their baby and they say, something is wrong. Something is wrong with my baby or something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So this, I mean, if, if there's any incentive for anyone out there to start doing the work on themselves, it's to know that you can switch from that place into a place of, no, this is a book that says a thing. Nothing is wrong with me. Nothing is wrong with my baby. I am healthy. They are healthy. I love their love. Mm. And you can see it from just such a broader view. If there's any incentive, anyone in that frustrating space to start switching over, I think it's that. Cause then I think, you know, you're talking about your son. My son is almost eight. Um, we have gotten him bicycles as he's grown. He could care less
0: That's my to daughter.
1: ride a bicycle. He could care less. So <laughs> him and I, we were taking a walk the other day. Two boys go by on their bicycles, and he said, "Those are my," well, he says, "neighbors. Um, Those are our neighbors. Our neighbors." Um, I was like, "Oh yeah," I said. They're riding their bikes. I said, "Don't you want to learn to ride your bike? So you can ride around you know, the neighborhood with them?" No. You just you really you don't want to be able to ride your bike with them? No, I have my scooter. Yep. Go, but, you but know, you could you could ride a bike with him not a scooter with him okay you know and that's the end of that you know it's like have i had i not been in this place of excuse me you are like almost eight you should be yeah. learning to ride a bike everybody else is riding a bike and if everybody else is riding a bike then it's not normal that you're not riding a bike like it'd be easy to go to that place instead it's kid doesn't want to ride a bike there is nothing about this life that says he needs to ride a bike he right loves his if he ever wants to ride a bike he knows that we're here to get him a bike. Yep. <laughs> Go down that
0: path. <laughs> That's, I love that example. So, my daughter is a competitive gymnast. Okay. The girl has balance like no other, at the time, eight year old I'd ever seen in my life. Terrified of her bike. <laughs> Freaking terrified. I'm like, you literally do the scariest shit ever for fun but you're afraid of your bike, did not want to ride a bike. And you know, what's funny is like, internally, you're like, kid, you need to be able to ride a bike, but that's right. Right? But it also comes from our childhood. We're like, that's what you did all summer. You rode your bikes all over the place and got into like line crossing, maybe things you shouldn't be doing at the Creek or at the park. The Creek. Right. (laughs) All the neighborhood kids just rode their bikes together. And then we've got these kids that don't want to. And we're like, you're going to be left out, but they don't care. They don't care. He's got a scooter. Just let them not care. Right. The day that he cares is the day that I'll
1: be there. So, I mean, again, another incentive to do this work is you, you stop holding yourself to that expectation and you Mm -hmm. stop holding your kids to that expectation. Yeah. Because when you're able to step back and view it from that much broader view, These things really mean nothing. They don't. But when we're wrapped up in our day and our busyness, they mean so much.
0: Yeah. Or we make them mean so much. Yes. It's a bike. Who cares? It's a bike. It's a bike. And with my son, you know, if he was showing no signs of being able to walk, maybe then we would question. But that little boy would walk holding your hand, but you would let go and he would sit down. (laughs) He couldn't help him carry it he around. Was, he was also 25 pounds by that point. So we uh-huh. wanted him to walk because he was really heavy. Because he was an exercise
1: program at that he point. He was an
0: exercise program. <laughs> and now he's three and a half, almost four. And he's like 45 pounds and still tries the will you carry me? And I'm like, Whoa. heck no, sir. I cannot. Like don't a- expect
1: an end to it. Because my son's still on walks. Can you carry me? Like, oh why are they like this? Keep your little legs fresh. Cause I cannot, I cannot, <laughs> um,
0: but you know, it's like, we create the expectation. We create this. And a lot of it is really just mirroring the parts of ourselves. We have not yet healed. Yes. And that's the childhood stuff. Let's bring it right back to the very beginning where, you know, where someone told us who and what to be. And if we didn't sit pretty, or we didn't achieve certain grades, or we couldn't ride a bike, or we couldn't walk, or we didn't make our family look good, right? It was like this all about us really having it together. And I think every family has that to some degree. Um, we bring that to all of our situations and our and parenting in particular is the greatest mirror for the places of ourselves. We still have to dive deep and say, Absolutely is this really about my child or is this about me? And if this is about me, then what am I making it mean?
1: Oh gosh. And one of the cause it can be really hard when you ask yourself, well, what would my child's self need? Like some of that gets so abstract. Like it's mm-hmm. a little bit difficult. Um, one of the tips that worked for me. So if I'm doing homework with my son and it's especially frustrating and I feel myself kind of boiling up rather than kind of asking what I needed I would just, I would look at him and think if I were him, so he's on the other side of this frustration equation. Mm-hmm. If I were him, what would I need for my mom right now? And it shines a light both on you as a parent and it shines a light on that inner child self. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because you know that whatever you come up with as in the, what does he need right now? is going to hit on something that you would have needed. Yeah. You would have yeah. needed. So it's just a really easy in the moment shift of, I am frustrated as all cut out. If I'm feeling that he's feeling that, mm-hmm. what would I need if I were him from my mom? It's not this, it's not this frustrated thing that's, that I'm, that I'm exuding. Mm-hmm. It's something else. Mm-hmm. And it gives you that moment just to stop that power in the pause, just to stop and take a breath and then do something differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I always just see it as what a gift we've been given to be able to do that and say, what would I have needed? And, you know, as my daughter gets older and we are very different and we see the world very differently, I will often say to her, what do you need? Now we talked about her emotional authority. A lot of the time she does not know. Right. I do not know. I have
1: an emotional authority. like, <laughs> I'm Yeah. I, I see her right now. I've never seen her, but I see her right now.
0: (laughs) And it's infuriating for me because I always just know, right. My, that's my sacral authority. And so I'll say to her, okay, well, here are two choices that we have. We can come back to this in a little bit. We can take it nice and slow. And you tell me how you want me to help you. And a lot of the time, just two options gives her one to pick from that one feels right. Okay. Let's let's go there for now. You know, or giving her space to say, think about what it is that you need right now. Let yourself be led. What do you need? But I remember being a child. It was like, you didn't get that question.
1: No, 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 no,
0: no. It was like, you are are going to, Mm -hmm. this is what we're doing, you know? So just that awareness. And then my favorite part, I'm going to, and then we're going to wrap up. My favorite part is that's also a question I ask myself, what do I need? And it's that reparenting, right? Especially in those moments of frustration as a parent, it's like, what do you need? You don't know. Okay. What do I need? Maybe I need to say right now, I'm feeling very frustrated. So I'm, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get a drink and I'll be right back and I'll try again.
1: Well, and I love that you hit on that. Because earlier you had mentioned honoring yourself and I I think it's smart to bring up that as, as people go through this process, as they go through their work, they're going to be pieces of themselves that they want to dislike, that they want to despise for being there, Mm -hmm. but it's so important to honor yourself and honor those pieces. I mean, just like you're navigating how your daughter is designed to work through something, just like you're navigating what it is that you need in a moment. All of those pieces of us are there for a reason. They showed up for something. Mm. They allowed us to rely on whatever it was in a moment in time that we needed them. It's being able to evaluate who they are, what they are, and then ask them what they need so that we can work with those pieces and turn them out of their dark spaces it's not to shun ourselves or shame ourselves for anything. It's to look at ourselves and say, where did that come from? My favorite question is what is here for me? Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling something ugly, just what is here for me? What, what can I learn from this? So that you can shine a light on all of those and just love yourself wholly. Wholly. Mm-hmm. Yes. yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and that's just it, you know, really just, I, uh, when I first learned to define self-love, I would define it as loving all parts of self. And since then, my language has expanded and my ability to understand the com- concepts have expanded. But I knew that I had carried shame for so long that I didn't want to hold that anymore as in those dark places. And I learned self-compassion to say that piece of me protected me from something. Yes, and so, can I find compassion for that part of me? Can I thank that part of me, and also let her know that I'm safe now?
1: Yes, yes. Everything you just said, yes. <laughs> and then, Same, from there. I mean, that seems like such a ridiculous concept, probably for some people. But thanking that part of you, saying mm-hmm. thank you, and yeah. my gosh, you must be tired. You can take. You can rest now. You can rest yeah. now. I've got this. I yeah. didn't have it before. And now I do. And that whole journey of self-love, it's really easy to start from a surface level space and then get discouraged because you can't truly love yourself until you until you start to really learn who you are. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're learning to love until you go through all of this.
0: Yeah. Mic drop. So many mic drop moments in this conversation. Angela, you are exceptional. Thank you so much for being here.
1: I, I truly enjoyed it. I was really looking forward to this. I love speaking with
0: you. It's awesome. Great. I, maybe we'll have to do a part two about human design because I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell my people where they can connect with you, what your favorite platform is so they can be in your energy more and maybe a way they can work with you?
1: Absolutely. So my website is mckay www.AngelaMcKay, dot ccom Um, On the bottom of the page are links to my social Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, So it's a one-stop place. Um, I do offer one-on-one coaching. I have a single session for anybody who's not ready to completely dive in and a free guide that they can sign up for called the seven ways to self-care that goes over those seven areas of self-care, what they are with some prompting questions you can ask yourself to really start to dive in on your own. if, If you're ready to start finding that exquisite
0: space for yourself. So beautiful. I'll make sure to link all of those um, links in the show notes. Again, thank you for being here. I adore you and the work that you do in this world.
1: Back at you. It was amazing. Thank
0: you. And to our li- listeners, I hope you love yourself fiercely and fully today and every day. We'll see you on the next episode.